You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Continuing our series on 1 Peter, and this is a letter written to Christians who were on the run. Christians who had been exiled from their own homes, moving into uh, communities that had never heard about Jesus before. And uh, this, these communities they were moving into had lots of questions about who these weird Jesus people were. Uh, back, in the way, uh, back in the day, the early Christian church was called Followers of the Way. I think that's kind of cool. So as Followers of the Way were moving into this community... Who are these people? Christians were considered part of a cult. So Peter says, remember. He says, remember, people are watching you. You're exiles. Not only in this, like literally, but also figuratively in this world, you're exiles in this life. We're just passing through. We have a greater citizenship. And he says, remember, people are watching you. So what he begins to do in chapter 1 is he lays out who we are in Christ. And chapter 2 begins to lay out the fact that people are watching us and we need to live a life that reflects Christ. And then he starts to make it very personal halfway through chapter 2 and chapter 3 on ways to apply it to our life. I like to say it three different ways. These are kind of the, the three big things so far. The first one is this, live your life in such a way as to gain the right to speak into people's life. And uh, this is kind of where he's going to pick up next week as well, as he talks about how to speak into people's life. Now that you've lived the life, how to speak words of life. And so he's going to transition next week, but he says you must first... Give yourself an opportunity to gain the right to speak into their life. Second thing he begins to talk about is let them know what you are for before they know what you are against. He says, be people of compassion and love. Uh, Before you start kind of throwing God's word on them, throw them God's love on them and and reflect the love of Christ. Uh, People are watching and your response to society, to government, to work, to school, to your superiors and your marriage, that was all chapter 2 and chapter, uh, uh, the beginning of chapter 3. And then this is today. His, his point is this, and for crying out loud, get along with each other, all right? So now he's going to transition into, all right, now people are watching how you live. Now they're watching, is this how you treat each other? So today, we're going to talk about 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, where we left off, and he starts to talk about how we are to treat each other, Christians to Christians. So if you're a Christian, then uh, this is a challenge for you. If you're not a Christian, this is going to help you to understand what the Bible expects from us, and, and maybe Maybe you haven't seen Christians live this life uh, in a way that honors uh, or respects God's word here, and, and hopefully you'll have a change of heart and know that, that we're not perfect, but we're trying, and that God does expect us to treat each other differently. So let's dive into this. Now, when my daughters were little, and if you have little kids of any kind, um, one of the greatest pains of a, of a father is to see your kids fight with each other. Right? I mean, or as a mother, to see your kids fight each other. And you're like, can't we just get along, as the great theologian once said. You know? Um, We're like, if we could just get you guys to love each other, your sisters, your brothers, whatever. And But there's nothing that brings greater joy than when my kids are playing together. You know, when they're laughing together and when they are, you know, just enjoying each other's company. Sometimes, I'm going to be honest with you, young people, you know, we will sit outside of your doors and listen to you play with each other or talk to each other and just go, "Ah." you know, there's something about just that 
that joy of hearing the people that you love the most love each other. It's the greatest joy. Now, this is actually the heart of God also when it comes to his kids in the kingdom. Uh, we are born into a family, and we are all part of God's family as, as God's kids, uh, sons and daughters of God. And I can imagine that God's greatest frustration is when we don't get along, and his greatest joy is when we do get along. In fact, this is how Peter said that First Peter chapter 3, verse 8, he's talking directly Christian how you treat Christians. He says, finally, all of you, talking to Christians, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. He's directing this to how we treat each other. He says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. In the contrary, repay evil with blessings because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good, and they must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to break this apart, but what he's really talking about is a different relationships. We have a different way of relating to each other. We have a different way of loving each other. This is one of those passages that honestly, preaches itself. I could just say, read that slowly and close in prayer and we'd be done. Uh, as we read this today and break it down, it is, this is one of those few passages in the Bible that doesn't need to dig into the Greek or need to dive into the original. And, you know, the context is this, it's believers learning how to, how to love each other. All right, that's the whole context. We don't have to go deep into history. It literally kind of preaches itself. So if you want to go, you're more than welcome to just get your stuff and leave. And you'll, I'm just kidding, don't do that. All right, this is uh, directed to Christians and their relationship to each other. Now, Jesus, uh, Jesus said this in John chapter 13. Um, he says, it's a new command I give you. He says, love one another. Now, he's talking to his disciples on how they love each other, all right? This is important because he's talking about how Christians treat each other. And I, I, honestly, we don't treat each other very well. We're quick to condemn and to insult and to bring down and to ridicule and mock. He says, a new command. It may not be new to us because we've heard it, but for them it was pretty much fend for yourself. So it's new. He says, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, by this love that you have, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, Peter's following up with this. He's saying in chapter 1 and chapter 2, the world is watching. But they're watching also, not just how you live and how you talk and how you are in your marriage and how you are at work and how you treat the government, which was chapter two and in the beginning of chapter three says, the world is watching how you love each other. I mean, think about this. If the world sees in the body of Christ a family that they never had, they're gonna wanna be in that, wanna, wanna be in that family. 
Well, let's basically just go down this. I like to call this the family checklist, all right? Using 1 Peter chapter 3, the family checklist, we're going to go through these rather quickly. First one is this, be of one mind. He says, be like-minded. Now, what does that mean? That's the word. It means uh, uh, unity. It means to live in harmony. It means single-minded. Now, a lot of us will say, I'm all about being single-minded as long as it's my mind, right? It's like, uh, I don't mind uh, being in agreement as long as you agree with me, you know, agree with my politics or agree with my point of view, agree with my beliefs, agree with my music or my style or my ideas or my philosophy or whatever. You disagree with how I approach life. And, you know, if that's, you know, you, then we can be friends. We can hang out together. You know, I tell our young adults that there's two keys to an instant friendship that whether whether you're a Christian or not, two things that will instantly bond people together is affinity and uh, proximity. That means if they're near each other, have access to each other, maybe as a kid, they live across the street or down the street or in the neighborhood, or as an adult, you can drive there easily. Proximity and affinity, common interests, common ideas, common music and common goals, common sports, whatever. Proximity and affinity equals a friendship. However, sometimes when affinity changes, your interests change as you grow up, for example, friendships grow apart or proximity changes. A, a friend who lived next door moves away and you just don't talk to him or a high school friend who you saw every day, you don't ever see anymore, so you don't talk anymore. When one of those changes, sometimes the friendship just changes. But there's a, something that overrides proximity and affinity, and that is spirituality and loyalty. And so the spirituality means when we have a bond in Christ that's greater than our proximity. We have a bond in Christ that's greater than our affinity, than our interests, our common interests. And we have a church like that where we are different people, different backgrounds, different positions, but we're family. You know, every cell... And our body is different. And every cell has a different purpose. But every cell is coded with the same DNA. That means my body, my cells are in one mind. They have the same sense of purpose and direction. And that's what Peter's saying. He says, listen, church, be in unity. Love your diversity but be in unity in Christ. And then he says this, and be sympathetic. What's that mean? Sympathetic doesn't mean to feel sorry for people. It means be understanding. Be understanding. That means when you hurt, I hurt. That means when you're blessed, I celebrate. That means that I'm not going to blow off your feelings. It's because we're family, and we attempt to understand where someone is coming from. And we try to walk in their shoes, and we give, we give our church family the benefit of the doubt. We don't just write them off because they hurt our feelings. You know, I think about how, uh, you know, you give your family extra grace, you know? Sometimes, you know, oh, that's my brother, you know? Oh, that's my sister, Oh, that's my mom. That's my dad. And you, you give them extra grace because you love them. They're your family. And Peter is saying this, hey, we need to be as family with each other in this regard and have sympathy, extra grace for each other. I'm going to give you a leadership inside glimpse, behind the curtain glimpse. We have a phrase in our leadership team uh, called EGR people. EGR means extra grace people. I don't think anybody here is an EGR. 
But an EGR is someone that just needs a little extra grace. You know, maybe they're, they get frustrating to you or they're, or they're just causing trouble or they're just someone who can be somewhat, you know, uh, uh, seem stressful for you. Well, EGR, extra grace. It's not write them off. It's not avoid them. It's not push them out of your life. It's not like, you know, you bring me down, so I'm only going to hang out with the people that bring me up. You know, if it's just been said, only hang out with the people who you want to be like, well, then why would they want to be with you? Right? Because if you're only hanging out with people who you want to be like and you're not at their level, why would they want you to be around them? Because they care about you and that's how we should be. We don't write off people. We give them extra grace. We seek to have understanding with them. He says, be sympathetic. Try to walk in their shoes. Get to think what they're thinking. All right? And then he says this. Some translations say the next thing is love one another. Some say love one another as brothers. What's that mean? The word there, love, is phileo love. That means a family love. That means a brotherly love. That means love each other like brother and sister. And like I said earlier, our house is Team Blair. And a Team Blair, we treat our family different. You know, a Team Blair, uh, we're the first to come to aid to each other. We're the first to help. We're the first to defend. We're the first to encourage. Peter says, listen, you guys need to love each other like they're your own brother. You need to love each other like they're your own sister. We need to be Team Living Way. Or even better, we need to be Team Jesus with the body of Christ. He says, man, it's time that you start having this great love and patience for each other because we're family. You know, churches say that all the time. We're family. Are we really? Are, are we really? You like to say, I, man, I know that I am here for you. But when you say you're family, are you going to be there for me? Are you going to be there for the person next to you? Are you really going to be there? Well, Paul says, Peter says, Jesus says, hey, listen, it's time. Love each other like family. The next thing he says this, he says, uh, he says, be compassionate. Be compassionate. And the, in the Greek, that means be compassionate. <laughs> It means be warm, means accepting, be gentle, be caring, be someone who's ready to listen, tender-hearted, supportive. You know, we don't blow each other off. You know, we, 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 have a, we try our very best to feel what their circumstance is bringing upon themselves and put ourselves in their position and have just patience and care with somebody because we're family. So when someone sits down with me, I'm not going to be like, you got five minutes, man. I got to go, you know. Sometimes on Sundays, you know, it is really busy for me. And so you know what I try to do? I'll say, well, let's meet this week because I want to make sure you get all my attention and you have all my time. And so that's what a compassionate person does. You make the time for each other. You take the care for each other. And you really, really are tender with each other. And then he says this. He says, and, and be humble. And that means be humble. Like I said, this passage preaches itself. That means prefer others above yourself. It, that means that I'm not so concerned about what I want, but I got my eyes on what you might need. And I'm going to serve your best interest, not my comfort. This is why we serve each other. 
You know why you volunteer for KidVenture? Because you're humble enough to realize that somebody else's needs are more important than yours. You know why you help out in youth ministry? Because you realize that some kid uh, needs Jesus and you're willing to give up the comfort of a Wednesday night so that you can help this kid know Jesus. You know why uh, our band comes early, uh, you know, before the sun's even up to do practice and to set up? Because they love you and they put your needs above their own comfort on Sunday mornings. Why, do, why does the host team come and, and fold bulletins and, and make the coffee and serve you with a smile and love on you and, and because they care about you? Why does someone help out in KidVenture? Because they want a parent to know that their kids are taken care of and learning about Jesus so they can sit in here and learn about Jesus too. It's humility. It's putting our needs after the needs of others. This is how Paul says it in Philippians 2.3. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Not what I want, but how can I reach the people in this room with the love of Jesus? Somebody say, well, you're just making it easy on people. Yeah, and you're making it hard on people because all you can think about is yourself. And Peter's saying, listen, be humble enough to put others above yourself. Here's the next thing. This is the last thing he says. He says, be a fighter. But he says this in not a way. It's not a fight where we fight at each other or with each other, but we fight for each other. You know, there's three types of people in church today. There's three types of people today. The first one is someone who doesn't know Jesus. That's the first one. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. You're still checking it out. You're dipping your feet in the pool of spirituality of Jesus, the Jesus kiddie pool, and you're just trying to see if it's something you want any interest in. You're seeing if it's legitimate, if it's for real, and, and you haven't totally dived in or given your life to Jesus yet. You're, you're just not ready yet, but you're lost, but you're here, and I'm glad you're here. The second type of person is someone who is a follower of Jesus. You're all in. You've surrendered rendered yourself to the life of, to, to serving uh, the life of Jesus Christ. That means that you understand the cross. That means you're living this out through a surrendered life. But there's a third type of person here. Guess what the third type of person is? It's someone who is a Christian but doesn't always live like it. And the church is filled with people who have given their life to Jesus but struggle on a daily basis to figure out how to honor God with their life. And some of you here are struggling to live a life that honors God. And the entire, almost the entire chapter, uh, entire letter of 1 Corinthians, particularly chapters 1 through 10, is about this issue. And, and Paul says it's either because you're immature in your faith or you're lazy in your faith. Which one is it? And Peter here says, listen, he's talking about Christians when he says this next part. He says this, talking about Christians, he says... Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. See, even though in church people are Christians, there's all, the reality is that people in church can also do bad things. And people that go to church and people that say they're Christians can still do evil things even. The reality is, if, you're, if you've been a Christian at all, long enough to be in church for a while, you're, you're, you've been disappointed. You've been hurt. You've been let down. And sometimes people are in church for a long enough time that when it happens, it, it burns them so bad they don't ever want to go to church again. 
It jades them. It affects them for a long, long time. And Peter's response is saying, listen, when other Christians hurt you, when other Christians offend you, don't repay evil for evil, insult for insult. Instead, bless them. How do we do this? We just give them extra grace. Some of you say, well, I expect Christians to know better. I expect Christians to be better. Well, maybe, but we're all sinners saved by grace. And some sinners saved by grace are still very immature. You know, we should be the family everyone wants to be a part of, the family of God. But so many say no to God or church because they see Christians treat each other like trash, shooting their wounded and burning bridges. You know, there's a show in the 80s that was very popular called Cheers. I don't know if you guys remember that. Maybe you're, you're too young to remember that. But there was a, uh, it was a great show. I loved it. I remember watching it in the season finale and everything, or the series finale. And um, the, the song was great, you know. I want to go where everybody knows your name, you know. And the whole song was like, I want a place just like that. It could be the soundtrack for a good church, really. Because when they come into the place, they're like, Norm, hey, everybody's hey, everybody, what's everybody? You know, they're just talking and they're there for each other. They're loving each other. Unfortunately, the church has not been great at fostering this environment. And, and many times the world has been better at fostering this environment. And Peter is saying, listen, the world is watching you. They're watching you. And God loves it when his kids get along. You know, there's uh, what are known as the one another's in the Bible. One another's. One another's are uh, every time the Bible says, like, love one another, for example. There's 59 one another's, 42 different ones. I'm going to read some of them to you, okay? These are all in the New Testament. Here we go. Here's selected hits from the 59 one another's. All right, be at peace with one another, love one another, build up one another, be of the same mind towards one another, give preference to one another, greet one another with affection, esteem one another as better than yourself, serve one another, receive one another, be devoted to one another, rejoice with one another, weep and cry with one another, admonish one another, care for one another, show tolerance towards one another, be forgiving to one another, be kind to one another, submit to one another, comfort one another, teach one another, and when you come to eat, wait for one another, encourage one another, have equal concern for each other, be compassionate with one another, pray for one another, confess your faults to one another, accept one another, be truthful with one another, carry one another's burdens, be patient and bearing with one another, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, bear patiently with each other, spur one another to love and good deeds, love one another deeply from the heart. Know what these all have in common? Two things. Number one, this is about a Christian's relationship to another Christian. Number two, they all require another. We are not designed to be solo artists in the kingdom of God. We are not designed to be lone rangers or to, or to, 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 to glide in, shake a few hands and glide out. We are designed to be in relationship with each other. This is why our small groups are so important. This is a crowd. We give you like 30 seconds to shake hands. But in the small groups in our life teams, that's where family happens. That's where the one another's are lived out. That's where you actually are known and people know you and care for you. 
I'm glad you come to a service, but this is not the point of church. We are to one another. We are to love one another. And this is what Peter is saying. He says, the world is watching you. And he says, man, when this happens, it changes the world. When we love, when we truly love one another, we will drink cold coffee, sit on hard seats, listen to loud music and bad preaching because they love being around you. That is family. Dad loves it when his kids love each other. You know, I've been to churches over the years. I've been a pastor for a long time, and I'll go to a church that's pretty good size, and I'll go, how in the world do they get this many people? That guy can't preach very good. The music's eh, you know? Have you ever been in a situation like that? And then I'll just stand around, and you know what it is? I'm like, because they love each other. They love each other. They're going to lunch with each other. They're hugging on each other. You know, those crazy potluck lunches work because they're being family, breaking meals, you know, having meals together. I'm like, you know why a church that can go through so many trials, you know, with leadership and pastors survive because the family loves each other. Now, we would never want that for us or for any other church, but I tell you what, that love, that bond of family is pretty tight in the body of Christ. He says this is what it's all about. And we do this for their sake. Verse 9 says, we do this because to this you were called. To this you were called. To this you were called, what's that mean? Let me, let me define it like this. We're, we're a smaller church. I'm the only full-time person on staff. I'm actually the only part-time and full-time person on staff. Uh, and so I'm on call 24-7. That means if you have a need, I'm on call. I might call up a life team leader to help me out, to make a run for me, but I'm on call. Now, when I was on staff at a, at a church where we had multiple staff members, we would take turns being on call. I would have like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, and Thursday, and on those days, I was on call. That meant on that day, it didn't matter what I was doing, if someone went to the hospital, I was at the hospital. If someone needed prayer, I would go meet them at their house, or I would, you know, if there was crisis, I was the pastor pastor on call. So you could call. It didn't matter what my plans were. I was on call. Well, this is what Peter's saying. He says, listen, you are on call. As a follower of Jesus, you are on call. To give when someone is in need and to show love when someone is hurting, you are always on call. Let me, let me put it this way. When I was in uh, sixth grade, <clears throat> I was a crossing guard. That's right. I had an orange crisscross vest and a belt that matched, and uh, it all attached together. It was quite complicated, really. Uh, but those who knew the craft knew how to put it on. <laughs> and I would have a sign, and I was like, you know, this is back when they trusted sixth graders to help other sixth graders get across the street. Yeah. So I had this, I had this training and I was given the equipment and I was given this responsibility and there were days when I was scheduled to be out at the corner, but there were also days when I was on call. That meant if a kid got sick or went home, they called me up. They called Master Sergeant Ted to the uh, crossing guard patrol. And so I remember uh, I would get this note. They would call me up to the front, and the teacher would pull out the coveted paper uh, booklet that said hall pass on it and tear one off. <laughs> That's right. And I would 
please excuse Ted from class. He's on the way. Like, so I'm like, it's my power, you know, and I walk out of class going, see a punk, yeah. So I'll be like walking out, <laughs> I'll be walking down the hallway, and you know, you see there's long square windows. I'd be walking, I know where my friends were, I'd walk in front of the window, and they were like, and I'd go like, hall pass, you know? And so I made my way to, uh, to my assignment. And, and I think, and you know what? You are on call. And we have a living hall pass. You have been called, you have been appointed, and you have been commissioned to a great purpose. Now, there were times when a teacher would say, hey, what are you doing out of class? <laughs> hall pass. You can't stop me. Get behind me, Satan, right? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I didn't say that when I was in sixth grade, but, but I'm thinking about it now. When the devil says, hey, who are you? Sit down. You can say, hey, get behind me, Satan. I got a hall pass. I got a hall pass. When the enemy says, sit down, you can say, as Peter said in chapter one, he says, no, because this pass says, I am chosen, and I am a royal and a holy priesthood, and I have a calling on my God with a great purpose of God. I, I've been trained, and I've been commissioned, and I'm on call for this purpose. I'm on assignment. And when the heat arises, I will be there. That means when you go home and you see someone who's in need, you're on call. It's not somebody else's problem. When that senior across the street is struggling to mow their lawn, you're on call. You're the one to be there. When you're in a grocery line and someone runs out of money and they realize they don't have enough to pay for the groceries, guess what? It's your responsibility. You're on call. When someone is hurting next to you, it's not someone else's responsibility. It's your turn, your own call, to love and to serve and to be a blessing. And we don't just do this for their sake. He says we do it for our sake too. Because to this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. The word blessing there is the word, um, this is uh, the word eulogio, uh, which is where we get the word eulogy. If you're familiar with what a eulogy is, it's, it's when someone passes away. We had some yesterday when we celebrated George's life. People would come up or would stand up and they would share words about George that were so encouraging or positive. And he says, listen, if you will live a life of compassionate love for others, you'll be blessed, meaning people will say great things about you. They will honor you and they will respect you. He says, I, I want my reputation to be that I love people. I want my reputation to be that I was there for people. I want my reputation to be that I can be counted on, that my word matters. I want my reputation to be that I love people even when they were very unloving. And that's my blessing. He says, for this we were called so that you can inherit that blessing. Look at verse 10. He says, whoever would love life and see good days. That means you want the good days, right? Anybody want the good days? You want the good days? Maybe you, you flash back to when you are a kid. Like, Man, those are the good old days, you know? Coming home from school, having a ding-dong, watching Little Rascals. That was the good old days for me. I loved cold ding-dong, you know, and, and the, the ho-hos and the, and the Twinkies. What kind of names were we given <laughs> these treats? They all sound bad, right? So, man, I loved eating these lovely, wonderful foods and, eat, and watching the Three Stooges and Little Rascals, the original, the black and white, not the cheesy, terrible 90s movies versions. But I was, I was, uh, I was so 
as an adult remembering those days, and I think, man, those are the good old days. And Peter says, hey, you want the good old days? You want some good days? You want to live some good days now that one day you can look back and go, man, that was a good time at that event with our church. That was a good time. That was a good service. That was a good baptism. That was a good life team. Man, that was a fun outing. We're like, like we're going to, to Colorado in March. I mean, those are the good days, man. He says, you want those? He says, whoever would love life and see good days must do this. This is how to keep the family close. He says this, you must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What does that mean? He's quoting Psalm 34. This is how to live the good life, all right? This is how to have a close family and this is it. First one is this. He says, number one, control your mouth. He says, must keep their tongue from evil. How many troubles in our life, in our church, in our family could be avoided if we just controlled our mouth? How many walls would not have been built? How much, how much rage could have been avoided? How many hurt feelings could have been stopped? How much regret could have been avoided? You know, I have a saying, and you might want to write this down. This is a really catchy saying. You might get your, get your phone out, get ready to tweet this. I came up with this this week. It is, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything good at all. Oh, wait a minute. That's not it. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Yeah, I came up with that. <laughs> Just kidding. We all heard that. We've all heard that since we were kids. We know this, but you know what? We rarely follow it, and the first thing out of our mouth is insult, is payback, is a snide remark, is a defensive comment. <laughs> it's actually biblical. This is actually based on the Bible. You want blessed relationships? Bite your tongue, all right? The next thing he says is this. He says, in their lips, keep their lips from deceitful speech. That means always tell the truth. Always tell the truth. Not only are we not going to say dumb stuff and, and bridle our tongue like James 3 says, but we are going to always speak the truth. Dishonesty and lies breach trust. And when trust is lost, so is intimacy in any relationship. If you find that I'm lying to you, you may never trust me again as a pastor. You know, and if I find that you are lying to me, you know, it's our intimacy and closeness is going to be greatly affected. And if you're lying to each other, you know what? You're never going to be close to each other. Whether it be a small group or a ministry team that you're part of, like if you cancel and you lie about why you're canceling, you know what? It's probably because, you know, sometimes it's legitimate, but sometimes it's a lie. And when that lie is found out, you know what? That breach of trust is broken and that relationship is sometimes never the same again. So it's always better to tell the truth. Always tell the truth. Don't let deception be on your lips. You know who the father of lies is. Jesus says the father of lies is Satan. He's the enemy. And every time you lie, you align yourself with Satan because that is his character. He's a liar. He doesn't say the truth. Jesus, however, is the truth. And so Peter says, listen, always tell the truth. Be a person of truth. Be gentle with it, but always give it. 
And you know, I like to say this. This is something I, I did come up with. This, if you always tell the truth, you never have to remember what you said. A lot of times when we give an excuse or an example or, or kind of cut a corner or use deceptive language, we have to like, what did I say? How did I say it? What was my story? And we have to backtrack. Listen, if you always tell the truth, you never have to worry about what you said. Here's the next thing he says. He says, if you want to keep close, if you want to have the good old days, they must turn from evil and do good. What's that mean? That means do right in God's eyes. That means not your opinion, not your politics, not your position. It's not about being right. It's about doing right by what God defines as right. If you will strive to do what is right in God's eyes in regard to your relationships, you will have a blessed life. The problem is, is we like to decide what is right based upon how we're feeling or what we want to do. It's amazing how much allowance for sin we will make when it feels good. When God says that will hurt your relationships, but it feels right right now. Well, you'll find that it doesn't feel right tomorrow or the day after. But if you will strive to do what is right in the eyes of God, it will be a blessing to your relationship. And here's the, the, the last one. He says, and they must seek peace and pursue it. What's that mean? That means be a person who creates peace, not tension. You know, some of you are like, well, you don't know my life, man. There's like drama around me all the time. Like, I go to work and there's drama. I, you know, I come home and there's drama. All my friends, it's drama. If you're always involved in drama with the people around you, it may not be because you're dealing with a lot of people of drama. It may mean you're the drama. It may mean you are the source of the drama. Are you bringing peace or tension? You know, Jesus said, blessed, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall see God. Man, you want to see God in your family? You want to see God in our church? You want to see God with your friends? Be one who brings peace, not Attention, seek peace and bring peace. So if we do this, this is something that God will do for us. Are you ready? He says this. He says very simply, if we will do this, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ears are on the attentive to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Three things that God will do on your behalf when you seek to pursue loving relationships, humble relationships, when you seek to honor God, not yourself, he says this, number one, you'll actively know that God will actively take care of and look out after you. Number two, God will actively listen to your prayers. And number three, God will actively show himself to be on your side. He says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And when we live in humility to serve and to love one another, we can have this confidence that God is working on our, our behalf as a family. If we will seek to honor and to love each other with humility, we can know that God is actively listening to our prayers. He says his ears are attentive to their prayers. We can have confidence that our prayers are being heard. And when we seek to honor and to love and to humbly serve each other, we can know that God will actively show himself to be on our side. But he says this, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So the choice is yours. I'm reminded of Romans 8:31. If God is for us, who can be against us? I tell you what, man, you don't want God on the flip side. 
If you want God on, you know, if God is for us, ain't nothing can stop what God wants to do in my life. You can't stop it. Nobody can stop it. But if you will honor each other, serve each other, love each other as family, if you be humble with each other, man, God will show himself on your behalf. You can have this confidence that he's hearing your prayers. This is not a guarantee that life will be great, but you have this great sense of peace and knowing that our relationships, our daily life, and our prayers are in the Lord's hands. See, this was Peter's challenge. And we're going to wrap it up next week. He says, he says, now let's transition on the world is watching. Next week he transitioned to now the world is listening. How to speak life. The whole first three chapters were all about how to live a life that gains access to a voice into their life. But this is the point. This is what the big takeaway is this, is how we treat others, particularly other Christians, affects not only our relationship with others, but also our relationship with God. If you struggle to hear from God, if you struggle to, to understand his word and you're a Christian, if you're struggling to have the confidence that your prayer is being heard, you might need to dig down deep and ask what your attitude is towards the body of Jesus. You know, if someone came to me and said, Ted, I love you, but I hate your wife, we'll never be friends. But that's exactly what a lot of Christians do. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. You know, if someone ever came to me and said, Ted, I love you, but I hate your kids. I'm like, we'll never be close. But that's exactly what people do to the church every day. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I hate those Christians. Man, your relationship with God is greatly affected by how you love each other in this room and other Christians as a whole. And I, I am honestly, honestly, I am sick of people disrespecting the body of Jesus. We're not perfect. And rather than the bride of Christ, we look like the bride of Frankenstein, uh, Frankenstein sometime. But I tell you what, Jesus loves that bride. That's his, his spiritual wife. He loves that, those, those people. Those are his kids in Christ. And I am offended and tired of the church getting, you know, torn apart because a church somewhere hurts your feelings. You cannot base the body of Jesus on a pastor, a church, a community. Maybe they were just unhealthy. But there comes a point when we realize that Jesus died so that we could be family. We are born again into a family. We are baptized into a family. And when he comes back, he's coming back for his family. So please get along is what Peter says. Just get along, figure it out. Be humble, be patient. You know, fight for each other, not against each other. John says it this way in 1 John chapter 4, Apostle Jesus, verse 19, he says, We love because he, Jesus, loved us. He first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. So I'm about Christians. Whoever does not love their brother or sister in Christ, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. He who has, uh, 
and he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love his brother and sister. See, in chapter two and three, we are called to live a life that draws people to the kingdom. I'll tell you, when people come to our church, when they step into our youth group, when they come to our young adults group, the zone, do they want to be a part of that family? Or is it going to be one more reason to never go back again? See, I love, I love my church family. And I love you. And we're not perfect. In fact, this is supposed to be a place for imperfect people to know the perfect God, Jesus. But we strive to walk with grace and we will try our best to love each other deeply because dad loves it when we get along. Amen? You know, yesterday we cried together with a family and, and I just want to say hello to Laura who's here. And uh, George passed away uh, earlier this, well, a Sunday. You know, we prayed for George in service last Sunday and it was maybe 30, 40 minutes after that, that that he went to see Jesus and he was healed perfectly and wholly, miraculously healed as he was transported from this life into the next through the grace of Jesus Christ. But this week has been filled with a lot of pain and it will continue to be filled with pain. When you lose someone you love, it hurts for a long time. It can hurt for years and years. And the deeper the love, the, it can never, it may never go away because you love that person. You know, my mother died years ago, and I still miss her a lot. And so you're going to miss you're going to miss your husband and your your dad and your family, but but we're family too, and we're going to be here because we're family. That's what family does. We don't give up on each other. Okay, and uh, tonight we're going to be family. We're act stupid and yell at a big screen and because that's what family does because <laughs> we love each other and we love to be together so um i love peter's challenge he says and finally the world's watching us so let's live like family amen let's pray god thank you so much lord for being a good dad. God, I think there might be people here who've been hurt by the church before. God, maybe people who have who've, uh, been offended by how they were treated, maybe by a friend in church or, or maybe even a pastor or a leader. And God, I just pray that you would heal their heart. God, that you would help them to see that, that, the, that the kingdom is more than than a person or a few people. God, let them know that they are loved here and that there is an opportunity to have family again here. God, I pray that you would heal their heart. If that's you today, we just talk to God for a minute. Just say, God, um, I, I've been hurt. And, and uh, God, I need your healing. Just go ahead in your own words and say, God, I just need your healing. Help me to forgive that church, that pastor, that event, that friend. Thank you, God, for your forgiveness in my life that helps me to forgive them. Maybe some of you have been the one who's offended. Maybe you've been the one who has hurt somebody. And you wish.
wish you could go back and change it, but it's too late. Will you just ask God to forgive you? That God can use you again to bring hope, to be family to somebody. Maybe you're here today and you've never become a Christian because you've seen the church in such a way that you never wanted to be a part of it. Maybe today you've discovered that the church is not Jesus. But the church wants to love and know and grow in Jesus. But even though we're bad at it sometimes, Jesus, he will never let you down. So if you'd like to say, you know what, I think I'm ready to say yes to Jesus and take a moment right now and say, Jesus, here's my life. In your own words, here's my heart, God. Forgive me of my sin. I I give you my life. I trust you with my life. Here I am, dear God. I will follow you. I'll be one of those sinners saved by grace who will give lots of grace to others around me. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.